Welcome to the Kids First Podcast, where we talk to educators, school leaders, policymakers, and charter school acolytes about their stories. We always start with why here, because it's not just about a job, occupation, or field. It's about why we do what we do. Hey, I'm your host, Chris Neely. As the superintendent of the South Carolina Public Charter School District and the father of three amazing kids, I have seen time and time again the pain that a lack of access and choice in education can cause. But I have also seen the beauty and joy that educational autonomy can create. So thanks for listening and for coming along with us here at the district as we learn more about putting kids first and why it matters. Welcome back, Kids First friends, to the Kids First podcast. Today we have a special guest, a friend, John Payne. John's the chairman of the South Carolina Public Charter School District Board of Trustees. He's been on the board for several years now. I first met John when I was a school leader at the Meyer Center up in Greenville. And uh, we transferred our charter school from the Greenville School District to the Public Charter School District. And John heard our testimony Mm -hmm. and supported our transfer to the district. And then, of course... You know, three school years ago, I became the superintendent and have really gotten to know John in a much closer way. We now realize that I think we're very close to being related. Um, it's a small state. It's a very small state. So, John, welcome to the Kids First Thank Podcast. You. Glad to be here. It's good to have you on here. And, of course, you wear a lot of different hats. Of course, you're a father and a husband. Tell us a little bit about your position with the city of Darlington and and then take us back to, you know, when you first became a member of the Board of Trustees here. So let's start with your current job at the city of Darlington, and then we'll kind of backtrack to the board. Well, let me let me go a little further back than what you just said a moment ago. I've actually known Chris, not, not intimately, not very closely, but Chris and I go back about 25 or 30 years. We met each other in Washington. I, I worked on Capitol Hill, and Chris was up there from time to time, but he was good friends with some of my roommates. So we our paths crossed from time to time. And then I left and moved on and moved back to South Carolina and lost track until, like you said, it, with the Meyer Center, and uh, and we accepted your transfer request. So it's been a long time. But yeah. what I have learned about the state of South Carolina is um, you, you need to behave wherever you go because somebody's going to know you one way or another. Yeah, that's no joke about that. My When my dad moved to South Carolina back in the 50s after – uh, 40s, 50s after the war, he had a little client, a little old lady from Lamar. And she told him, she said, John, let me give you one piece of advice. She said, don't say anything about any of us because we're all related one way or another. And that's pretty close to, to reality here it in is. South Carolina. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But the, to answer your question, the reason I got involved with charter schools originally is my kids. We lived in the low country at that time. <clears throat> and uh, I, quite frankly, the, the local, I had one option. That was the public school district there. Um, we didn't have the money to send kids to a private school. So we were stuck until I had the charter option. Um, I had an incident with a principal that um, she, she didn't tell me the truth. And it, it upset me. And um, I was looking for for a way out. Um, I didn't want my children to go through that school district. 
and a new charter school popped up in Beaufort called Bridges Preparatory. And um, our children got in, and they had to elect their first board. And I knew that if, if a new fledgling school was going to make it, it needed to have parents' involvement, and it needed parents who had uh, a desire to see it succeed. And I thought that I, I could do that, and I was elected their first board chairman. So go forward about two years. Um, that gave me a unique perspective, I feel, uh, for this board here. Um, from a board perspective, you know, I, I'm not running the school on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't do the operations. But as board chair, we were in charge of policy and finances and things of that nature. Um, it, it gave me a unique opportunity to see uh, the trials and tribulations of, of a new school, um, transportation, being one. Facilities is a huge issue. Uh, we were begged, borrowing, and pleading to find facilities because we had a waiting list. We were growing exponentially, but we, we didn't have the facilities to house the students. So about two years after that, an opportunity came here on this board at the district. Um, someone else from the Low Country who had been on the board stepped down, and I was asked, if I would like to serve, and I had jumped on it. I immediately said yes, and that was 2015, and I've been here since, and I think that I do bring a little unique perspective because I have been in, uh, on the grassroots level of a charter school, so yeah. I believe I can understand when they come before us and tell us their, their issues, their problems, their complaints. Um, I've been there. So I, I believe I have a little different perspective that I'm able to share with our other board members. So you've got your own school choice story, you mm -hmm. know, with your own kids and, mm -hmm. of course, Bridges Preparatory. Uh, you served on the board of a charter school, mm -hmm. and then you got appointed to this board, and you've been serving uh, under the previous speakers of the house. Correct. And uh, so currently you serve under Speaker Merle Smith from something. Uh, he just reappointed me a few months ago, yes. That's exactly right. So you've also seen a lot of changes. The district, uh, you, you <clears throat> served on the, the board at a time where there was a lot of change going on in charter schools in South Carolina. Uh, not all of it great. And um, you, had to, you, had to, you and the board had to deal with a lot of different uh, tough issues. And uh, there were new authorizers coming on the horizon and new competition and, and so forth. Um, and then COVID hit and you and the board, you know, said, look, we might need to make a new change because there had been some challenges. The state had done some reviews and audits and so forth. And, and, um, but with, with challenges come great opportunities. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the board's mindset back in 2020 when, when the previous superintendent left and there was an opening and opportunity for the board to really kind of go in a new direction. Well, you're right. There, there were challenges at that time. As I mentioned, I came on in 2015 uh, and not too long after I came on board, we, we had our second superintendent come on board. Um, and he was very good with um, the programmatic side, the academics, um, we had challenges with relationships um, and, quite frankly, diplomacy. And it, it caused some issues. Uh, you're right. We had some audits we, we were looked into, which is fine. We should. We're a public institution. We take tax dollars. We should be very open and transparent. Um, 
that superintendent decided to, to move on. And then we were looking to put the next foot forward and we were looking to change our direction. Uh, we had a number of, of applicants, um, but to be honest, you, you shined. You really did. You brought a different perspective um, from your military perspective or your military experience. Uh, that brings great leadership. Um, you, you know how to plan and make goals and execute. Uh, you had worked in the political realm for a while. That takes great discipline and diplomatic skills, which is what we were sorely needing at that time. You had also run a school, um, the Meyer Center, as you mentioned. We, we accepted you and, and took in the transfer, but you had actually run a school. Uh, you've also been in business. You understand what the bottom line means, and you understand what customer service means. So while you had not been in education all of your life, you brought uh, a plethora of, of skills that we needed at that time. And, and uh, three years ago, we brought you on. And, and we have, uh, I would say, gone 180 degrees. We, we are going in much better direction now. The building that we're in, we own. We're not renting from anyone anymore. We're saving money and we're building equity. Uh, you've assembled a top-notch staff that I would say is unparalleled in the, in the charter world. Um, we have excellent, competent staff, um, and they have a heart. And, and to circle back, it's one thing to have the academic credentials. It's another thing to have the professional credentials. But to be in education, I have learned, you have to have a heart because it's not always easy. You That's have to right. have a... This is hard work, John. It is. You have to have a... A, a gut, if you will, um, because some days are a lot better than others. And um, it, it really, it takes that determination to want to succeed, to do something for kids who can't do anything for themselves except sometimes be stuck in a failing system. Yeah, and then that takes us back to kids first. So you know, I, I came on board back in uh, 2020, right in the middle of COVID. And of course, the, the pandemic created all kinds of challenges for all schools, including our schools. Uh, but our, our staff really held it together. They were there to support our school leaders and to ensure that students were able to be in the classroom and learn. And I think, John, what we're seeing now is because we put the kids first three years ago, we're starting to see those results come in through the data. Uh, we just you know, recently received some of the data that it, of the student performance on, you know, English and language arts and math. And what we're seeing is our students are outperforming. And wouldn't you say that's a testament to the board wanting to make that change, you know, obviously having the right leadership, but having the whole collective right team in place that, that puts kids first? Well, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it's two simple words, kids. Right, yeah. They're, they're our customers, if yep. you will, kids and their parents. First, that means priority. What I have, unfortunately, what I have seen with some is when people charter, start a charter school, uh, sometimes they, they develop a, an ownership mentality, and it's the adults that are doing this. And when they do that, they have a hard time letting go and things become personal. 
And sometimes people will lose focus that it's about the kids, it's not about the adults. What this staff has done is put kids first. Uh, th- like I said, the reason that I got into charter schools was <laughs> because of my kids. It started with your own kids. It started with my kids going first. Right, yeah. That's and what Janie and I say. It started with Marsh first. It, it was. It, it was yeah. with Ellie and John Wallace. And yep. um, I think Ellie was in sixth grade at the time, and John Wallace was in third. And they stayed there for three years. And then we moved away, and then they went back into public schools. But but what they had developed through the charter schools has carried them through. Now, Ellie's a junior in college now at USC. Doing very well, I She's add. doing exceedingly well. Yeah, works but over at the state house. She does. She's interning or a page over in the Senate now. She um, was in the governor's office this summer, and she's learning things she could never learn in a book. Yeah. Uh, but she's doing exceedingly well. John Wallace is a senior in high school. Uh, but the foundation that they got from their charter schools uh, has brought them to this point. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, our stores, ac- stories are actually very similar. Um, the first first podcast, Janie and I brought Janie on, and we talked about the we call it the origin story. Where did mm-hmm. kids first come from? And I love I love the way you say that. It started with my kids first, and with us, it started with Marsh first. Mm-hmm. And our struggle to try to find a good quality school that would uh, be able to support him and his needs as a student with disabilities and having Down syndrome. And so um, then that led into us. And you might remember, Jenny and I had an opportunity to go to the White House. We got invited mm-hmm. to, to participate in a Kids First town hall. And that's the first time I'd seen Kids First. Right. So then it kind of all put it together and I came back. I started that same month right here at the district as superintendent. And I, I put it in my signature block first. I put kids first, Chris. Mm-hmm. And um, but, but then it became a movement. Our, our district adopted it first. Uh, we, we, we conducted a new strategic plan where we came up with a new logo, mission, vision, and values that was kid-centric. It was all about putting the kids first. And then, John, you know, then we developed this great relationship where we repaired a fractured relationship with the Charter Institute at Erskine, and now that's a thriving relationship where now we have two school districts, charter school districts in South Carolina that are focused on putting kids first. How important was that for the district to go through that strategic planning process to prioritize through new messaging, new programs, a, a student-centric program like Kids First? Well, it, it's, it's absolutely critical. Uh, one, it was a rebrand. You're right. When, when Erskine first came out, um, we did not have the relationship with them that we have now. As I mentioned in our board meeting a minute ago, the last clip of the video that you showed uh, had you and Cameron embraced holding hands yeah kind of like hands um, up in the air hands up in the air kind of like kids first logo yeah it's like like sports figures yeah um that couldn't have happened four years ago so i give you and cameron a lot of credit for being adults putting the past in the past putting kids first and moving forward this is i'm going to boil it down to the, the most simple way that i can this is how i see school choice I chose what clothes I wear today. I chose where I live. I choose what I eat. Why should we not be able to give parents a choice in where they educate their children? Amen. Amen to that. 
and what's the old E equals MC squared? Why can't C equals C? Why can't charters equal choice? Oh, I love that. All right, new tagline. <laughs> we'll add that on after kids first. But but that's and that's the way I see it. We choose everything in our life. Most most things. Yeah. Um, we choose when we get up in the morning. We generally we choose where we work. Generally, we choose what car we drive, who we marry. Why can't we choose where our children are educated? Because one box does not fit all children. That's exactly right. And, John, as you know, some of us do have choice, um, no matter where we live. Mm -hmm. Some Uh, don't. Maybe we have the means uh, to send our kid to a private school, or we maybe we have the resources where we can homeschool, um, or we live close to a charter school. But as you and I both know, most children in South Carolina have no choice. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in a, a failing, you know, school system that has trapped them by the attendant zone or zip code in which they live. And um, I, I truly believe that until we really break down those artificial lines, a lot of kids are always going to be trapped. But as long as we have the ability to develop new charter schools, we can put charter schools in those zones and give children an option. How important is that for our state to be able to give kids, especially those kids that live in rural South Carolina? You live uh, pretty much in a rural county. You work for a city mm-hmm. of Darlington uh, that has a lot of pa- families that still struggle, mm-hmm. uh, families of poverty uh, that that need hope. Um, what can what can we do as charter schools to start to look at some of those communities and expand opportunities for those children too? Well, think of it this way. We as a charter district and under the charter law, as a board, we grant charters or we create schools, but we also have the ability to close a failing school. Not every charter school is going to make it, um, unfortunately. That's just that's the way of the world. But we have the ability to shut down a failing school. Traditional school districts don't. Yeah, they never close. Do you see anyone closing. The closest thing I've seen is um, over in the county next to mine in Florence, uh, one school district took over another. Yeah, they might consolidate. They consolidate, but they don't close. We have the ability to close. It's no fun. It's gut-wrenching. It's last resort. But sometimes, be it uh, leadership problems, be it academic, be it... um, Financial. Financial. Sometimes they have to do that. But to give opportunity to kids, well, say in my area of Darlington, um, and we, I have a very good relationship with the superintendent in Darlington. And, and yeah, he's and, a great, he's he's a great, great guy. guy. And, yeah. and in, my, in my day job, I work with him quite a bit, SROs and other issues. Yep. Uh, so I, I do work with a traditional school environment. But wouldn't it be nice if there was some choice for some people there uh, who might not fit in a, in a square box. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I often say, we say on our Kids First radio show, and I'll say it on the Kids First podcast, you know, we're never going to be in this to bash our traditional school friends. No. Those are our friends, our colleagues. We're all in this to, to help uh, make education better. But there are a lot of things about the traditional system and the way that it's always operated that, for for instance, autonomy. Mm-hmm. In charter schools, teachers have more autonomy 
to be able to educate kids in a more personalized way in the classroom without a lot of the burdensome regulations and red tape that unfortunately our traditional friends have weighed, weighing them down. Well, it removes the bureaucracy. That's exactly and right. It, and, it ta- and it puts the power uh, or autonomy in the laps of the school administrators and ultimately the parents because when I was at Bridges, parents were heavily involved. And if a school is going to survive, it's got to have volunteers, uh, but it's also just got to have the support of parents uh, because that is their grassroots. Yeah. Um, but it, it takes the it takes the centralization of power and puts it at the school. Now they still have to meet certain requirements, regulations, That's laws, right. uh, special education, for example. They still have to meet those requirements. But it takes the the autonomy and puts it in the laps of the people who are walking through the door every day. They know what's going on with little Johnny and little Mary, and they're able to deal with it. And if they have issues with um, uh, Maybe it's um, they have punishment issues or they have a kid out of line. They can deal with it that particular day. It doesn't have to go up the, up the chain of command to a district office. They can deal with it that, at the local level, if you will. Yeah, I, I really kind of view us as kind of the umpire. You know, we're called on by the statute to, to really just make sure our schools are following the law, federal and state laws, making sure that, you know, that, they're doing the right thing with public funds. That they're following our state's Freedom of Information Act and uh, governance laws. But um, outside of that, we 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 are also just support partners. So where where exactly. our schools have need, you know, we want to offer support. Um, it's voluntary. You know, we're not trying to dictate on high, but we do want them to perform at a high level mm-hmm. and to succeed and to achieve the goals that are in their charter. Uh, that are unique to that particular charter school. I mean, you were on a charter school uh, board, and you you know firsthand that, you know, most schools are really focused on trying to achieve those goals. And mm-hmm. if they can achieve those goals, then we can ultimately achieve the state's goal for charter schools, and that is to close the achievement gap for for those struggling populations, those students of color, students with disabilities, students in poverty, uh, the gap that exists between them and the more high-performing students. How important in your mind, you know, under the through the lens of Kids First, is it that the charter district, in co- cooperation with our schools, uh, stay true to the mission of the state to close the achievement gap? Well, you, you mentioned the word support a moment ago. Um, support is huge. When these schools begin... You've got volunteers, and and sometimes you'll have educators involved, but a lot of times you just have parents who are looking for an option. They don't understand education, so they there's a huge learning curve, and they don't know what they don't know. So they look to the authorizer, in this case, the South Carolina Public Charter School District, for support. Uh, we offer a lot more support now than we did four or five years ago. And that evolved. We had one board member who really um, pushed that. And to her um, credit, she was right. But in order to achieve the, or excuse me, to close the achievement gap, um, it takes all of us. It, It takes the district with the staff that you've assembled, with the knowledge and the heart um, that knows what needs to happen next to work with the parents 
the staff, the administration of these schools, it's a team effort. And, and no one person's gonna do this. It took years for our education system to get to this point. Nothing's gonna change overnight, but it's just ultimately a team effort. Yeah, it does take a great team. We have a great culture here at the South Carolina Public Charter School District. You know, we're 16 years old. We were created by state law in 2006. And uh, I would say that we're probably performing at our highest level in the 16 years. Oh, without a doubt. Just based on employees that have been here for most of that time, board members like you and others. Uh, we had a board member, Kathleen Bounds, who uh, just retired from the mm -hmm. board, you know, earlier this year. And she was here from the beginning. Mm -hmm. and, you know. Um, and I miss her institutional knowledge. I mean, she, and she didn't oh, forget she was anything. Tremendous. She was tremendous. No, no. She's, now well, I'm, she's I, still very active. I yeah. still hear from Kathleen every day. Well, now, I, I mean, I've only been here since 2015, and now I'm the – the senior board member. Yeah, well, you and I both are getting old, John, so mm. that's just the reality of it. But with age comes great experience and knowledge, and I think if we if we look back on the, the past 16 years, the intent is being met by the General Assembly in terms of what the district's doing. We haven't always gotten it right, and, um, and, and we're going to strike out sometimes. But every time we go to the plate, we're trying to hit one for, for the kids. And that's, that's by trying to score home runs for our schools so they have the tools and the resources. One example of that is, you know, for 26 years, charter schools uh, have been advocating for funding to follow the child. Every year, the, the charter schools had to go and advocate to the General Assembly for money to be put in the state budget every year just for charter schools. And, of course, the last two years, uh, Superintendent Runyon at the Charter Institute at Erskine and I we worked together with the governor and the, the House and the Senate, you know, budget writers, and we designed a new funding formula that where the money now follows the child. How important is that in terms of, I mean, you're a finance guy, you love talking about economics and so forth. How important is that for our charter schools? Oh, it's a game changer because in the past, we never knew what our numbers were going to be. Uh, we were generally funded at half the level of traditional uh, school districts. Uh, it's the same kid if he walks across the street to go to the public school, all of a sudden he's worth more over there than he is at, at a charter school. Same kid worth half as much. But now that's changed. Now the funding is, is there's parity. Um, I still, you know, in the future we want to work on, on facilities and transportation. Uh, you can't you know, it's like eating an elephant. You can't eat it all in one bite. It's one bite at a time. But what you and Superintendent Runyon and our boards and your relationship with, with policymakers has done has literally changed the, the scope and uh, the charter world, if you will, because finance is important. If, if, you, don't, if you don't have the right numbers, uh, you can't afford the buildings. You can't afford the utilities. You certainly can't afford the excellent teachers and administrators. <clears throat> what you did was was change the world for charter schools. Well, I, I John, I appreciate that. It's it's it like it's like you said earlier. This has been a team effort. Um, it took the board uh, making some very important decisions over the course of the last several years, and under your leadership, we have seen great growth in terms of our academic growth and performance in our schools. We've had successes at the General Assembly with the new funding formula. 
And you're right. We need to do some things on transportation and facilities. And come January, we're going to have a new state superintendent. And, you know, I, I know that we'll be advocating with whoever that is on some things they can do to actually help charter schools across South Carolina. So I got one last question um, as we wrap up this Kids First podcast show. Um, you know, you're on an elevator. You're with a total stranger. And they knew a little bit about you. You didn't know anything about them. And they knew you were involved in charter schools. What would be your elevator pitch to that stranger about why charters? Well, it goes back to what I spoke about a minute ago. I'm able to choose my car, my clothes, my food, my spouse. Why can't I have a choice in where my child or your child goes to school? Um, there's a great need across this state. You know, everybody talks about the corridor of shame. I, w I would rather refer to it as the corridor of opportunity. Amen. Um, yep. But I, I, it's just choice. It's just choice. That person chose to be in that elevator that day. You know, maybe they're there at a conference. Maybe they're there to, on vacation. Um, it, it comes down to the ability to make choices that directly impact your family and your future generations. Well said, John. Um, as our friend Tom Cronin up at Green Charter Network likes to say, we need to give every student a voice and a choice. Mm -hmm. And it it shouldn't matter what they look like, where they come from, every child in the state of South Carolina, and for that fact, all across the United States, deserves to have a chance because they only get one opportunity in, in, in school. And why should, why should any child be trapped in a failing school when we have a model through charter schools and 30 years of history of showing that charters can work? Why would we want, not want to give every child a, a choice? So, John, thank you for being on this, this second edition of Kids First Podcast. I appreciate your story. I appreciate your leadership at the South Carolina Public Charter School District. Appreciate also just your previous service to our, our nation and your community and our state. I look forward to working with you in the years to come. I, I'm so glad that Speaker Smith reappointed you so we can continue to do some great work together and see some of these other things come to fruition so that every child in South Carolina can have an opportunity to reach their full potential. So that's a wrap, friends. Thanks for joining us on this Kids First podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.